Dealing with your inner critic is one of many themes that are looked at in today's episode with therapist Anthony Morris. Course of the conversation, Anthony explains his philosophy of his practice, making us think about where our attention is and the importance of positivity for good mental health. Moving towards love versus fear based thoughts with a key concept of what will we allow on our radar and the importance that makes in terms of where we focus our concentration. There's lots here to take in plenty of practical ideas as well as ones to take home and think about a little bit more. I started off by asking him how he came to be a therapist in the first place. I was I I was I didn't finish uh, my secondary school and then I was um and I was kicked out of university and found myself working on the cruise ships in the Caribbean in the casino. Uh, and that was my sort of university years. So I was, I was, I was three years out there. And um, uh, we, so, so really for me, um, that, that gave me a good insight into people, how people behave around money and gambling. And what was the difference between the winners and losers? And, what I discerned most strongly was that the difference between winners and losers is the winners know when to sit down and when to get up, and the losers have no idea of either. Um, so when I came back from the ships, uh, I got into gambling professionally. Uh, but that caused me to, get, to, to you know, I was, I, was, I was a sort of young man in my mid-twenties and uh, doing all the things you shouldn't. and, and um, Yes, I, I got I got stomach ulcers, and uh, so my doctor advised me, you know, I've got to change my my lifestyle. So I I, I just uh, I, I I removed myself from playing blackjack and uh, and gambling on horses um, to uh, the financial markets, where I've been employing my own system of analysis since 1995, um, and it's a, it's an unusual um, me- methodology in that it is based on system of resonance um, and so I've, I've always had this sort of um, way of finding my own way into uh, looking at things with, with fresh eyes um, and so I didn't have a lot of economic baggage which clouded my ability to employ a specific model uh, and I think a lot, a lot of times that, that is actually a problem um, because people get married to their ideas and their uh, their way of, uh, of of analyzing a situation, and of course they can be wrong all the way to the bottom. They've got no checks and balances against the um, vulnerability and the variability of their own moods. You know, we all have a bad day and make bad decisions, and of course the hardest thing, and the government's finding this now, the hardest thing to admit is that we were wrong. We would far rather compound that initial error by making more errors uh, until we finally go off a cliff. But so I, I, I had a difficult um, uh, childhood in terms of, you know, we were quite privileged in lots of ways, but my parents didn't have a very good marriage. Um, and my mother was um, 
manic depressive uh, and has been most of her life. And so I, I had a very close quarters, you know, an observation of uh, people suffering with mental issues. And from a very young age, you know, of course, you know, a small child only wants to help their parents. And so I think I developed a natural um, affinity for doing that. And, uh, you know, and as a result of, you know, the negative programming I picked up and learned uh, from from both parents, actually, um, gave me, you know, issues of my own that I had to confront. And probably at around the age of 30, you know, things came to a kind of a head. Um, I noticed that uh, in, in dealing with people, it's usually the end of each decade that they have a sort of crisis um, uh, where a rebalancing and a rethinking uh, needs to take place. But of course, you know, the brain and the mind doesn't come with any kind of manual. Um, and, you know, we don't get taught much about how to, for example, manage our inner world, the way we talk to ourselves. And, you know, the big problem that I see um, is that the model for psychotherapy, psychiatry, is really, um, they are really tools of diagnosis for the purposes of prescribing drugs. Um, in the same way as a doctor during his seven years of training has, I think, a little less than a single day um, which is focused on nutrition, proactive health, in the same way, the psychiatry and psychotherapy professions do not seek to um, show you how to become happy, how to go from being unhappy to being happy. It's really a tool of diagnosis to understand why you aren't happy. Now, of course, the why question for me is the wrong one to answer because it has myriad, infinite possible answers. And even if we could identify that single aha, that's why. Well, you're not going from being unhappy to happy. You're just more solidified in your justification for believing you're depressed or anxious or whatever it is that you're suffering from. So what I focus on more, instead of the why, it's very much focused on the how. And interestingly, I discovered very quickly, so back in 2003, uh, I finished my hypnotherapy training. I'd, uh, uh, by that time, I'd already studied neurolinguistics, uh, and I'd been reading. I'd been reading a very broad range of um, interests, literally since leaving school, um, which allowed me to, to bring in useful philosophy uh, into um, people's people's lives that perhaps they had forgotten about because largely during session I'm trying to ring bells within people it's like people have got lost in the fog and I'm just trying to provide a light so they can get back on their own path I'm not going to tell them how to be happy but they can I'm going to arm them with the tools to make themselves happy I don't I don't want to make myself a crutch you know a Thursday three o'clock every week we have an hour and I'll see you next week. It's it's much more about actually showing people what is 
possible with what we've got, with the resources that we have at our disposal. And it's not about going back and having to go through all the awful stuff that's happened to you. Because we've all had negative stuff happen to us in the past. We've been bullied or worse, you know, and it's really that there is no part of our education that speaks to the management of self uh, and our thinking. So what it all really comes down to, in essence, is, you know, the first thing I ask my clients is, what's the most powerful thing in the world and the only thing you can control? And the answer is where you place your attention, where you choose to place your attention. Will it be on the television? Will it be on a book of philosophy? Will it be on a piece of music by Mozart? Where will we place our attention? Because it is our attention that comes from the light of our mind and the vibration of our intention. These are the only two things that exist, light and vibration. So we have the light of our mind and we have the vibration of our intention. And it's it's a combination of these two things that cause manifestation of anything. So whatever it is that we focus on, focus our attention on, grows. If you think about it, a newspaper doesn't exist without the attention of its readers. Attention is the ultimate commodity, and everybody is grappling for it, because without it, there, there is no reality to it. So if you think on the very simple terms, building a house, it first occurs as a thought in someone's mind. Then with repeated quanta of their attention in a focused way, the plans get built. The plans get put together, the house gets built. And so, you know, people create a mastery of anything, including depression and anxiety, by virtue of what they're doing with their attention. Are they running over the negative feedback loops? in their mind, the negative thought processes? Are they living in the past, in which case they will be depressed? Are they living in the future, in which case they'll be anxious? It's only in the present moment of now that we can cause directly manifestation of anything. So we also know that the brain is neuroplastic. It actually physically changes shape, depending on where we're placing our attention. So that if you look at, for example, If you look at the brain of someone who's a a concert pianist or a violinist, the part of the brain that controls the finger movement is very much more developed than than you or I. And so we can actually, and and, you know, you know, look at the the brains of people who are uh, severely depressed, and they may appear shrunken in certain parts. So it actually matters very much where we are placing our attention. And so that's the first thing I get people to, to, to really think about. <clears throat> the next thing is, you know, so it's really about turning an eyeball inward on the traffic, on the flow of traffic, and starting to what I call weed the garden of your mind. Start to notice the games that you play with yourself. Those negative thought processes that you immerse your attention in and you become more and more hardwired to. And so eventually it becomes chronic if you do that over a long enough period of time. 
becomes chronic. You essentially become very hardwired to that way of doing things. And that result, because when you have a negative thought process, you generate a cortisol reaction, floods negative hormone through your body. Um, but the, the, you know, the, the key to this, you know, we have enormous uh, potential under the hood that we generally have no idea about. So the same strategies that I teach to people who are suffering with depression and anxiety, most of these strategies can be used directly to basically um, extract more of our latent potential, the genius that lies within each of us, that is occluded only by virtue of core thinking habits. So, the brain doesn't know the difference between real and imaginary. Okay. We, have, we have the ability to hallucinate auditorily and visually. That is, we can close our eyes and we can all listen to our favorite piece of music. Perfect. Or we can run a movie in our minds of something that's happened before, for example. And we all use these faculties every day. <clears throat> But we don't, what we don't realize is that we can use them deliberately to generate and control our brain chemistry. So what do I mean by, you know, the brain doesn't know the difference between really and imaginary? Well, if I ask you to close your eyes and go back to a time when you felt fantastic and start to relive that memory and remember all the things that people said and the way that they said it and the way that they treated you and how you felt. And as you're going through the memory of that, you'll start to feel in your body the positive vibe that was going on at that time. Okay, so that's something that's happened. We can all do that. And we can actually generate positive brain chemistry by simply doing that. Closing our eyes, taking a breath, and going back to a wonderful memory. It's the only reason to go back. Unless we've got a positive memory to access, don't go back, stay in the now. But we can use those things from the past to deliberately enhance our now. Now, here's what I mean about the brain not knowing the difference between real and imaginary. If I ask you to close your eyes and think of something dreadful happening, one of your kids or something, or some loved one being involved in some accident and you witness the whole thing, if you put your attention onto that very quickly as you run through this imaginary movie, you will start to feel the negative effects of the negative brain chemistry as if it actually happened. And this is what people do when they worry. They worry about the future. They create negative brain chemistry right away. See, the, the people living in the future tend to present with anxiety issues. People living in the past tend to present with depressed issues. But the reality is that both those people need to come back into the present moment to catch the negative thought processes either forward or back and return to the present moment. This is, of course, just one aspect of it. But in this way, by using deliberately using our mental 
faculties. We can deliberately influence our brain chemistry. Now, when you go to the doctor, and I, I, you know, just go back a little bit, obviously as a result of my own situation, I had significant issues with depression myself. I'd learned from one of my super programmers how to do it. And very, very often, if not always, we have learned these things from our parents or the people around us. We've learned how to do it because that's what's in front of us. And we just copy. So, and we do it on an unconscious, in an unconscious way. So I, I went through uh, a period of, of serious depression. And I think that, that actually gives me a very useful perspective because I know what I used to do and I know what I do now. Um, and it's, it was really, so before I, before I um, finished the hypnotherapy um, qualification, I, I'd been to a lot of different retreats, uh, a lot of different courses, looking for answers. And so that by the time I really just studied hypnotherapy and neurolinguistics because it was the quickest way actually to get in front of people. I had my own model that I wanted to employ. Very, very simple uh, and very logical. It's just the stuff that I've told you so far. It's very, very simple. But people don't realize that the power that they actually have because the light of our mind is limitless, totally limitless. Anything that we can perceive, we can we can conceive and achieve. You know, so you know it, it's uh, it's it's been it's been a journey for me. And along the way, I picked up various aspects that I assembled rather like a, jig, a jigsaw, uh, and it, it plays into nutrition and to exercise, etc. As, as well, everything is part of. Um, mental wellness where we choose to place our attention is absolutely key what media will we consume what movies will we watch what we what will we allow onto our radar so I mean where cricket's concerned so I, I, I've got a great love of, uh, of crickets uh, tennis golf many sports but particularly those three um, and I've had professional cricketers um, that, I've, that I've worked with. And, you know, so we find ways uh, in which they can actually not just throw off problems with anxiety and depression, but actually access more of their latent potential. Because actually, where does, if you ask any cricketer, what's the difference between a good and a great cricketer? They will all say it's in the mind. And then how is it that less than 1% of resources is given over to actually deliberately creating powerful mindsets? 99% of it goes to technical and physical training. When the difference is in the mental aspect, we can all play, all these guys, can they, they can all play the shots, they can all do all that. But can you relax in, in, at, at the top level, in the test, in the test arena, can you relax and just let your unconscious take over? And those are the great, the great ones, because we've all you, you know, if you played sport at all, you'll know what the zone is. 
you know, every now and then we get into it. We don't know how we get into it, but we seem to get into it. You come out, I mean, I think Ponting came out after a double century and he was being interviewed and asked how he felt. He said, yeah, I feel fantastic. He didn't, he wasn't drained of energy and he hardly remembered any of his innings. So there's, and what's actually going on there? He's got into such a state of relaxation that, that he is able to distort time effectively to make that half second that you have between the ball being released and it being on you. <laughs> um, and, and so that if you're thinking while that's going on, you're in real trouble. You've got to be playing out of your training, out of your muscle memory, out of your reactionary memory. And that's how you access it. It's all about relaxation. Being calm. Unfettered mind. Um, yeah, so, you know, I very much, I very much enjoy that. And, um, you know, I, I always felt dreadful when, you know, we've seen a spate of some of our best cricketers succumb to mental health issues. And I'm just asking myself, you know, gosh, they've got a team around them. They've got a mental health team around them. Well, what are these people doing? How is it that, that someone like Jonathan Trott got, got so bad? Or Marcus Truscotti? Um, how is it they got so bad and, were, and weren't able to access the kind of help that they needed? And that we all need, you know, especially at that level, because the pressure is intense and constant. You know, but will you spend some of the moments of your time, of your attention, on reading all the negative press? Will you do that? Or will you spend that same energy and time and the quanta of your attention, will you, will you spend that on thinking about the game? Because we can practice in our mind just as effectively as if we were actually doing it. There's no difference. You are training in just the same way if you're doing the shadow you know, like uh, Steve Smith is constantly bat shadow batting all the time. So his mind, that's why he's so good. He's put so much attention into batting. And he can do it without a bowler. And we can all do that. That's why he's so good. He's, he's making up and manufacturing footwork that nobody's ever seen. <laughs> you know, and... And it's all from finding a way with his mind. All great inventors do this. They do it in their head first. Nikola Tesla, a very famous physicist, designed all of his stuff in his mind first to perfection. And Smith is doing something similar. Um, and he, you know, he's got all these, you know, ticks and foibles that everyone looks at and, uh, and comments on. Trot was similar. But this is the way they get into their space, into their into their zone. And once they're in their zone, you just can't get them. You can't get rid of them. Um, you've got to have some, you know, extreme piece of luck or or something um, or fatigue finally hitting home. But but you know that excellence, that, that genius, 
is resident within all of us. It's not just some of us, it's some of us have figured out how to best use the faculties that we do have and employ them in a proper way. So one other thing I'll, I'll talk to you about uh, in, 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 this, in this chat, the other key thing that, that people all suffer from is what I call an inner critic. And that is a voice inside your head that tells you you don't deserve it, you're not worth it, etc., etc. Now, I would think that virtually everybody suffers from this to a degree. And of course, if it's very uh, significant, this inner, this inner critic, um, then you've got a real problem. Um, and so I teach people in a very, very simple way. So I get them to hold out their arm and to close their eyes and as if they're thumbing a lift and just close their eyes for a moment and go through a typical experience with their inner critic because most people are enthralled to this inner critic. It runs the show. So I get them to go through <clears throat> a typical experience <clears throat> and I ask them to identify where the voice is coming from. For many people, it's the center of their head or their chest or their throat. And uh, I asked them just to focus on that and to go through that, that experience with the same nasty tones that the um, inner critic will utilize. Then I asked them to move that voice to the shoulder of the outstretched, outstretched arm and to notice any changes in perception and go through the same process in the same tone, the same nasty tone that it normally uses. And then I ask the client to move the voice all the way down to the tip of the outstretched arms and thumb and have the voice talk to you from there. And then what I do is get them to give it a sexy voice. Okay. And then I get them to open their eyes and ask them, say, okay, what's that, what's that tell you? And they're like, oh, I can move the voice around. When I moved it further away, it didn't seem so bad. And then when I gave it a sexy voice, all the thrall fell away. It's an illusion. It's a total illusion that we have all created for ourselves and that runs the show of everybody. And it's, it's so what we need to do is part of the neurolinguistic understanding. You know, if you've got a negative picture in your mind and it's very big and bold, you want to make it small, you want to drain all the color out of it. You, if it's close, you want to send it far away. And, and in doing that, it reduces its impact on you. So I get people to do two things after the first session. Focus on your thinking, what's going on inside, turn an eyeball inwards. And then secondly, deal with your inner critic. Talk back to it. See, it, it's like <clears throat> there's lots of parts of us, and for most of us, the inner critic is up on stage conducting the orchestra. Whereas you, the observer, the one who is able to move that voice, is sat in the audience and isn't up on stage conducting things. So there needs to be a, a switch around. Where you, the observer, 
are the one conducting the orchestra and not the inner critic, which is driven by fear. So, you know, in, feed, in, in weeding the garden of the mind, we create a visual. So, for example, the one that I used, I, 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 I store my inner uh, mental traffic as a sort of as traffic along a sort of dusty desert road with a sheer cliff going off to the left and a, and a, um, a fork in the road leading towards me. And that those thought processes that are founded in fear are allowed to career off the edge. And those that are founded in love, I wanted to draw towards me. And it's really simple. So you've just got to trace the origins of your thought processes. Are they fear-based? Are they love-based? It's really that simple. So those fear-based thought processes are what we need to bat, essentially. <clears throat> and in, in doing this, you, of course, start to reduce the amount of water you are feeding the plant of depression or anxiety. So what I'm saying is people with chronic anxiety or depression, they become masters of depression and anxiety rather than the piano or cricket or whatever else it may be. So the style that I employ is really about emp empowering the individual, teaching them how to deliberately use the faculties that they have in order to get a different result. And this is how, you know, the great thing that I found out very, very quickly is we all do it the same way. So I found that whatever was presenting always had the same origin. Negative thought processes, an overabundance of negative thought processes. And of course, when we go to the doctor and say, oh, I'm feeling a bit blue, doc. He says, yeah, you've got a chemical imbalance in your brain. Fine, that's correct. It's true. But what's not asked is what caused the chemical imbalance in the first place. And it's simply a propensity, a propensity for negative thought processes. That's it. So if we, if we're constantly producing cortisol thanks to all the negative thought processes that we're having that we're placing our attention on, yes, you're going to have a, a cortisol imbalance in your brain. But the idea of filling that with, you know, if effectively treating the symptom instead of the root, that is the problem. And also people, you know, just aren't aware of the power that they have, the power their mind, each of us holds. Because in the end, to me, we are, we are all gods. We are all creators. We are all universes, each one of us. And we're all deeply, deeply connected. So, so in 2003, as I say, I, I, I've been working in financial markets for, for the last 25 years. Um, and it provided an extremely good balance to the inanity of looking at markets and dealing with that world and the people in that world. Um, so this afforded me a kind of joy um, that, that one can only really get from helping other people. And, you know, that provided a very good balance for me. Um, and, and actually, in the end, um, drove, drove me further to, to, to do uh, more and more research into uh, the understanding of the universe. 
because the, the work that I was doing on markets showed me that there was an order to markets that we are told is a random war. Uh, and <clears throat> I could see all this order, and I wondered how that could be unless there was a wider order to the universe. So I wound up uh, producing a book, which I put out in May 2018. It's called The Numerical Universe. So this is what I've been doing with my, with my attention. After I, after I got rid of the bad habits that I had uh, in terms of my thinking. And the book, uh, the book is, is really presents a, a whole new cosmology based on numbers, geometry, and music. So very much in the Pythagorean um, platonic tradition. So there's plenty in the literature about this kind of thing. Um, but I've made some, uh, some pretty startling uh, discoveries. And uh, I'm, I'm currently working on a, on a, on a second book. And, and so it plays into this idea that the entire universe is ordered um, and in perfect equilibrium all the time. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating um, and stretches, you know, from the earliest forms of uh, uh, metrology, so measurement systems, you know, so we, we, we cover things like the Great Pyramid and Stonehenge. And what do these things mean? And the reality is that they all shout the numerical structure of the universe if we know what we're looking at. And it's, uh, yeah, it's incredibly interesting. Um, and it, it, it goes into DNA and shows that our DNA is, is a symphony. It's a resonance. And, and, and perfect so that you could not lose one hydrogen atom, could not be displaced in any way without you losing the music of the piece. Um, and, and that which stands very much at odds with the ideas of Darwin. Uh, and and evolution, but so what? What I've you know what I've come to to, to be able to make use of uh, a lot of that kind of information in terms of how to how to see the world, how how to see the world out there, um, and our place in it. And I think people have become so one polarized, but but also living in their own little bubbles. Um, and, you know, I, rem I remember a few years ago, I was in London, in, you know, in a rich part of London, and I wasn't quite sure which way I was supposed to go, left or right. And this lady was getting into her car, or she was just getting her baby into the car. And I stood, you know, quite a way away from her. But the fact that I spoke to her so alarmed and terrified her, um, I just thought, gosh, you know, um, you know, what what's going on? I mean, it used to be where you, you'd go down the street and you'd say good morning to people. <laughs> now we're in some other other kind of thing, and and it seems to me that everybody's living with a degree of fear and anxiety, um, and none more so. Of course, you know what's going on at the moment will have pushed a lot of people's buttons. Uh, and so, what I wanted to do, all I really could do, was to make the online course I have um, uh, available to everybody for, for free, and I think I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave that. Um, but uh, you know, because 
what, what I'm what I'm talking about is really very simple for anybody to understand and to make use of. Whatever walk of life they're in, whether they're reasonably happy anyway, if you want to access more of your latent potential, it's doable, very doable. It's really just about what you're going to put your attention on. Because the extent to So if you want to be a great cricketer, well, then use your mind. Develop your mind. Deliberately. For resilience. Um, and, you know, really, so the first, so what people are doing when they're in these states is leaking away their vital life energy. And so that very often... We'll all have had the experience where we know what we ought to do, but we just haven't got the oomph to do it. And it's because all of our vital life energy has been leaked away in useless thinking. Oh, it's going to have a drop of water. So what's your, what's your view on what I've said? Yeah, I, I've been making notes here, and um, I, I, it, it chimes with a lot of what what I've thought and 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 read over these years. It, particularly with where you focus your attention, I'd I'd look at this from a perspective similar to yours, having had uh, experience of, of 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 depression, having some particularly um, particularly bad episodes of it, and now having the benefit of understanding not only how it came about, but how I was able to, to get out of it, I do place everything on what I'm, what I'm doing to keep myself uh, in the present um, and focusing then on saying, what can I control compared to what can't I control as well? And the things that I can control are the ones that um, I try to direct my energies towards. Now, of course... I'll, I'll have times where I do get distracted and if I'm run down and depleted of energy, then some of these old thinking traps can, can start to emerge, but I, I can catch myself doing it. Whereas That's in the it. past it would happen and then it would go run away like a, a, a train going off the tracks and then this would just compound it completely. So uh, that's been the biggest change in in my life. And I know a lot of people who would, having had that negative experience have then been able to grow grow stronger from it yeah yes absolutely I, I mean you know I think I think if you have been through it and managed to come out the other side um, you know you're ideally placed to help other people because you know you know you know what it what it is and how you you've done it and as I say I knew how I did it and I, then I started talking to everybody else and you figure out hey hang on we're all doing that. We're all doing it the same way, um, which which actually made my job job a lot easier because I, I then just focused on right, okay. So we've just got to be talking about this, and really, while I don't, I don't produce a sort of exhaustive course unless uh, people you know unless they want coaching on a sort of longer term basis. But typically, I'll see people two or three times. You know, probably see them once for an hour and a half. And see them two to three weeks later, see how they're getting on, and then do the sort of second half of the download for them. And in between, I get them to make use of uh, various exercises. Um, and all of these are produced in little modules on the on the website. Um, and then there are 
Um, okay, so you want to talk a little bit about hypnotherapy. So the, the, the style, there are various styles of hypnosis. I'm, I'm particularly fond of uh, what's called Ericksonian hypnosis, which is the, the imparting of learning uh, through, through, through metaphor, through the telling of stories, while the individual is in a very relaxed state. So I, I think it's, personally, I think it's a bit of a rip-off for people to come into my office, pay a fortune, and be conked out for, for most of it. <laughs> and wake up like, well, what happened? Um, so actually, I, 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 I will make something bespoke, uh, depending on what's presenting, I'll make something bespoke in terms of the sort of 30-minute audio, the deep relaxation audio. It's simply, it's almost like a guided meditation. And it's designed to really let your conscious mind wander away and uh, into a state of deep relaxation. The kind of deep relaxation you might like to have if you're a batter. Uh, you know, that kind of uh, inner peace. So get people to relax and, and, you know, the repeated doing of that, you start to learn, your body starts to understand how to properly relax on a very, very deep level. So I always say to people, the first time you do this, don't do it last thing at night when you're going to fall asleep anyway. Do it when you'd normally be awake, 11 o'clock in the morning, say. And I actually take half an hour out, go and sit down or lie down. Nothing to do, you can't do it wrong. You simply close your eyes down and relax and just listen to what I'm saying and drift away half an hour. You can't get stuck. There's none of that. It's, it's simply um, a, a methodology of deep relaxation and then the imparting of learning through the telling of stories. Uh, so it's very gentle. Uh, it's, it's it, you know, the, the, the benefits are enormous. And um, as I say, what you're doing, when you relax deeply and often, you are creating a reservoir of peace within yourself. And it is that peace that acts as the resilience, because life is still going to come and knock us over. Even if we get over depression, there's, you know, things happen all the time that, that will lead you off your equilibrium. Someone, you know, someone might be aggressive or nasty, or you may lose a loved one, or God knows whatever, whatever else goes on in people's lives. But the resilience is being able to regain your equilibrium in, in a timely fashion. For example, when we lose someone, there's a, there's a good amount of grief that we must process. But there are some people who get locked in it, and it goes beyond a timely process to something that's much more insidious and eats into the fabric of our lives. Um, but, you know, the, the, what I'd say, you know, I've been through grief in, 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 uh, in, in my own life, and I think the thing to do with it is actually to be as present as possible with it. And actually to give... I remember being thankful for the ability to, to, to be able to feel that. Because what are you feeling then? It's usually pure love that seems to be exiting the body somehow. Um, 
and I know in my own experience that, that grief, it strikes out of nowhere like a spear from every direction. And and suddenly you're you're in it. But the be- the the best way to negotiate it for me is to is to be as present as you can with it, and to just wonder at how incredible it is that we can feel such a way. The website for the online course mentioned is at shineagentsofchange.com the book that anthony refers to can be found at newunderstandings.com and to get in touch the best contact is anthony at marketharmony.com until next time goodbye